two reasons for them to just give up and say, let's go home. And I want to really uh, look at this today, tonight and see, say that if there is no reward, there really is no reason. If there is no reward, there really is no reason. In other words, it's the David that says, what do I get for taking Goliath out? Because if there's no spoil, then there's no reason to fight. And if there is no light at the end of the tunnel, if there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, if there's no prize at the end of the race, there's really no reason to go on. But there is a reason to, uh, no reason to fish. There's no reason to fight. There's no reason to continue on if there is no spoil, if there's nothing at the end of a thing. And these fishermen did everything right. They did everything like they were supposed to do. Have you ever done that? You've done everything you knew to do. You're faithful to the house of God. You're faithful in prayer. You're faithful in the reading of the word. You're faithful and committed yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And, and you did everything you knew to do that you were supposed to do. This is what those fishermen did. They did everything right. They did everything they knew to do. And they fished at night. This is the time to fish, right? Especially in the summertime. You fish in the night because that's when the fish come upward. And so they was casting these nets and they was doing it. And, and, and everything they were supposed to do, they was doing right. And yet they had no results. Their nets were empty. They got no reward for their work. And I need to say tonight that if blessing is a result of your own accomplishments, then it's really no blessing at all. If you by your own works, if me by my own works can produce something, then it's really not a blessing because we are the ones that created it. The, but the blessing comes from the Lord. Can somebody say amen? The blessing comes not out of our effort and out of our labor, but the blessing comes whenever we are faithful in doing what we know to do, but then it is God that brings the blessing. He is the blesser, right? Amen. This brings me to the second thing, and that is the washing of the nets. It represents the end. An end of a time. It represents a season that is over. It is the process. One process has ended. <coughs> Excuse me. And now something else has started. It represents in this case for the fishermen the end of the day. It meant the time of fishing had come to an end. But it also represented the end of their toil, the end of their work, the end of their labor. And this speaks of entering into the rest, entering into rest. And I want to uh, kind of define that tonight and bring clarity to that. What does it mean to enter into the rest? The only thing that is left after the finished work of Calvary, we don't have to labor, toil, or sweat any longer. All we are told to do is enter into the rest of God. That's our responsibility. So what does it mean to enter into the rest of God? It does not mean that we, can, that we don't do anything. 
and we just sit around and watch God and somehow that God shows up and does a thing all by himself. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you can quit life and you can watch God perform some uh, like a magical genie in a bottle and grant us every wish of our life. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we are not us to uh, still put forth an effort that we are to do a thing. In matter of fact, we must put forth effort, right? But the difference is we put forth effort without the responsibility and taking responsibility for the results. Let me say that again. To enter into the rest means that we still put forth an effort without taking responsibility for the results. In other words, it's my, my responsibility and to put forth an effort to bring forth the word of the Lord each and every time that I come to stand in this pulpit. But it's not my responsibility of how you respond to it. It's not my responsibility of the results of a thing, right? That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we plant the seed and leave the, 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 the growing up to God. Right? Once we plant, we rest. We know that, that we have done the work. We have put forth the effort. And now it is up to God to bring it to fruition. In order for tr a true blessing to come, we have to wash our nets. We have to come to an end of our toil, come to an end of, of our laboring and enter into his rest where that we say, yes, we are going to put forth our best. We're going to do what we know to do is right. But at the end, we're not going to take on the responsibility of how that it, the end results come. We are going to now enter into the rest of God and expect Holy Spirit to do what only Holy Spirit can do. And that is that he takes the seed because I can plant the seed, but I cannot make the seed grow. Huh? I can water the seed, but I cannot make the seed come up. I can, I, can, I can plant the seed, water the seed, put fertilize on the seed, but I cannot cause the seed to produce a harvest. That is the responsibility of Holy Spirit. And, and that is the same not only in the natural, but in the spirit. Amen. I can't get anybody saved. If I can talk you into getting saved, somebody else can talk you out of getting saved. But I can speak the word of God, sow the seed of the word of the Lord into your heart and the Holy Spirit begin to cause that word to germinate, to come alive in your spirit. And when you know him personally, nobody can talk you out of it. Amen. And so we have to come to a place where we no longer feel responsible for what is taking place. We just do what we know is right. We must not be like Abraham who worked to, to help God bring it to pass. We must stop uh, feeling like it is our responsibility to help God be God. Right? We need to come to the end of that, wash our nets, and enter into his rest. As long as we do uh, it in ourselves, there is no place for God's grace to come alive in us. 
If we continue to do in our own strength, our own power, there is no room for grace to move in our lives. And we need to understand that grace is important. <coughs> Amen? Tell your neighbor, grace is important. In Zechariah chapter 4, it was grace that moved the mountain. Remember Zerubbabel? He was standing over Jerusalem. It was a smoldering heap of rubbish. He is looking at the destruction of this once great city. It would have easily been, a, been easy for him to feel a sense of being overwhelmed. And it must have felt like a daunting task to try to rebuild the city. But then in verse 6, God says to him, It's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then God tells him, he instructs him to say this. He said, cry grace, grace unto the mountain. In other words, he speaks grace to the rubbish, the pile of ashes. He speaks grace unto it. Grace is important because grace is what moves mountains. We will never know the supernatural as long as we are thinking and acting in the natural. We need to step from the natural into the supernatural. And the only way we can leave the natural and go into the supernatural, it is done through the grace of God. The purpose of God can only be accomplished in our lives through grace. Now in the story of Zerubbabel, it, men are working, they are laboring, they got their hands dirty, they rebuilt the Jerusalem, but it was God's grace that produced the supernatural power that was necessary to bring about the results. What am I saying? I'm saying that God used man, but it was God's grace upon them that caused them to have the power to do what they needed to do. And so it will be with you and I when we have a daunting task, when circumstances arise in our lives and it feels like that we have facing insurmountable odds. It is the grace of God that will rest upon our life to do what we could not do, to be what we could not be and overcome what we could not overcome because that's the grace of God working in us. Amen. It wasn't man's work that got the job done. It was, it was done by the hand of God through the people. It was done through the empowerment of grace which enabled a mortal man to do what only God could do. And that's the kind of power that we need to produce the kind of results that we want. Amen. We need God's grace. His supernatural power behind our labor is the grace of God which can produce what we only desire to produce but cannot do it on our own. Blessing follows grace. I said blessing follows grace. Blessing doesn't follow man. Blessing follows grace on a man. And so blessing, when blessing came, it came because we had had grace upon our life first. 
Amen. The reason that we're blessed is because we have the grace of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, right? The second step of the blessing is teaching. Teaching is very important. To enter into the fullness of God, we have to, and his blessings, we have to have teaching. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 3, it tells us that Jesus taught them from their boat. Now, I want, I want to point out a couple of things here. God will always teach us where we are. Right? Remember when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't talk about, uh, you know, he talked about things that, that they could relate to. He talked to a farmer like a farmer. He talked to a fisherman like a fisherman, right? And he gave them these parables and understanding so they could relate to it. And, and God does the same thing to you and I today. He will teach us where we are. Jesus taught them from the very same boat that they had used all night fishing. Why? Because that was where they were. Now, I believe this. I believe the place of the boat was where they were, but I also believe that the boat represents the place of their failure. It's where they were when they was fishing all night. They went out in their boats, they fished, and they came back with an empty boat. They came back with no fish, no results, no success. And I believe that the, 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 that the boat represented the place where they were, but also the place of their failure. And so it isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the place of their failure to become the place of teaching. Jesus has a way of using our failure to use it as a teaching tool. In life, I've discovered that in order to learn, you have to be admitted into the classroom. <clears throat> and I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. <laughs> whether, it's grade, whether it's grade school, middle school, high school, college, or continuing education, we have to enter the classroom to learn. And maybe that is why we need to admit when we've failed when we need to help, when we need to learn. This is how we admit ourselves into the classroom. This is where we are taught, where we're trained, where we're instructed, <clears throat> excuse me, where we are raised up. The place of failure is often a place of fear. We, whenever we get close to that place of failure, fear will rise in our hearts where we didn't succeed before. We'll want to back out of it. We'll want to not, not get around it. We'll not to want to be a part of it. It is a place where that fear comes into our hearts. If you've ever experienced failure, you know exactly what I mean. In my mind, I can hear the disciples saying in Luke chapter 5, what are we going to do? We failed again. We fished all night, done everything right, everything we know to do, and we have caught nothing. What are we going to do to provide for our families? 
How are we going to survive? We are professionals and, and we can't even get the job. We know how to do it. We did it like we're supposed to do it. But we came up empty. We came up a failure. The place of failure is also the place of fear. Because I can imagine that I have a vivid imagination if you haven't figured that out yet. But I can imagine the next day that they got ready to go fishing. Fear come up in their heart. What if it happens again? What if we do every, we did everything right yesterday? We can't change nothing. We did it to the book. We did it to the letter. But yet we fail. What if it happens again tonight? I came to say don't allow failure to dictate your faith and define your Jesus. When you find out the reason it happened, it will renew your faith and give you an optimistic view of your future. If you give hope to the right time and the right place, it's called turning past failures into future victories. Amen. I said if you give it time and you put hope on it, it's called turning past failures into future victories. The greatest athletes. I'm talking about the ones who are called champions. Right? Those that have gained everyone's attention. Most of them, if not all of them, have had a defining time, point, or place in their life of failure. Everyone of greatness suffers a defeat and it becomes their defining moment. It causes them to either give in or get better. Whether you liked him or not, Kobe Bryant, who played for the Los Angeles Lakers, is probably one of the greatest basketball players that ever played the game. Kobe came straight out of high school and went directly into the pros. I understand you can't do that no more. His rookie season as the Los Angeles Lakers, they were in a must-win game to go into the playoff, a must-win game in the playoff game, and if they didn't win, they would be eliminated. The Lakers, behind several points, they finally put Kobe into the game. Maybe he thought, this is my moment. This is my time to shine. This is, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to score these points. Maybe I'll, uh, the last second of the buzzer, I'll shoot the winning three point. He thought, this is my time. They put him into the game. They got him the ball. He shoots the ball and he misses. Less than a minute later, they get him the ball again. He shoots and he misses. It happens over and over. Six times they give him the ball and every time he misses the shot. But not only does he miss the shot, it's an air ball. One of the most humiliating things is to not hit the backboard or the rim. He didn't hit nothing. 
And the crowd mocked him and jeered him, laughed at him. And of course, they lost the game. Obviously, the Lakers lost that game. And when you study Kobe Bryant, you find out that they said he never went to the locker room. He never took a shower. He never took his game shirt off. He got in his car. He drove, called a, a custodian that, that uh, had a, a, a key to the school right next to the house that he had just built. And it was there that they said Kobe went into that gym and he shot those six shots till the sun came up the next day. And he said, if God helps me, that'll never happen to me again. I will become the clutch player that everybody always intended for me to be. And we know that Kobe Bryant went on to win five NBA titles. What about Michael Jordan? Many believe the greatest that ever played the game of basketball. Jordan was in the league for year, a few years before he ever won a championship. He took suffering and defeat because it, he, he, there was this defining moment in his life as well. He went up against what was known as the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. And they were bad boys. They were known to be tough. They would manhandle their opponents. And every time that Jordan would go up for a dunk, they would knock him down. When he tried to put the ball up, they would beat him down. The bad boys would knock them out of the playoffs. And it was there in the locker room that they said Michael Jordan said that'll never happen again. And uh, during the off season, he would put on 30 pounds of muscle. And he said, I'll never be outmanned again. I'll never be outmuscled again. I'll never be physically pushed around like this again. And Michael Jordan went on from that defeat, defining moment of defeat to win six NBA championships. Why? The shift, the shift flipped that day that he lost to the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys, and they realized that I've got to do something to turn this around. What am I trying to say tonight? I'm saying in the midst of our failure, God will, if we allow him, God will step into the place of our failure and make it a place of learning to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to when the next time we come up against that circumstance, or situation in our life will be stronger than we've ever been before will be greater than we've ever been before that will not happen again because the grace of God will be upon our life and God's power will be greater than our life than the thing that's coming against our life amen <clears throat> so we must learn to turn our past failures into future victories we need to let failure teach us why we failed, right? What is it? Why, why did we fail here? We need to allow it to strengthen and renew our faith. We need to approach our future optimistically because we know that it is in our future that we're fighting for and not what we have had in our past. And this is the thing that I want to leave you with tonight.
we are anointed to turn our failure into future victories. We're anointed for this. So we're anointed for this. We're anointed to take the, the past failure and turn it into future victory. Where that the enemy may have got us there before, but he will not get us there again. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. You don't have to allow the enemy to keep having the same access to your life in the same place of your life for all of your life. Change where the door is. <laughs> where he had access in your life before, make sure the next time he shows up, it's a block wall of God's grace, of his anointing, of his purpose, of his destiny. Amen? So that when he shows up again, it does, he, don't have, he cannot get in the same place. You don't have to make it easy on him. We're anointed to turn our failure into future victories. So that it can be a testimony of God's grace on our lives. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I didn't come to preach all night. I come to put something in you. All right? Learn from our failure. So that we can have future victories. The enemy is going to keep on showing up. Amen? What did it say about Jesus? He left him for a season. Right? Tells me he showed back up. If he showed back up to Jesus, what do you think he's going to do to you and me? Same thing. He's going to show back up. But we don't have to have, leave the same access for him in our life. Because we learn from our past failure. And where we failed before, we won't be a failure there again. God will cause it to be a victory in our life triumph in our life glory to God I don't believe that you're a failure because you don't succeed once I believe you're a failure if you constantly fail in that same place because that means we're not learning we're not applying Right? <laughs> Amen? But when the enemy comes against me in one place and he overwhelms me or overcomes me in that area and I begin to take that, the word of the Lord, the grace of God in that situation and learn from it, then I'm stronger. I'm better. And I'm going to do more for the kingdom. Amen? Praise God. Everybody happy tonight? All right. I'm done. All right. I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, there may be some times when we stay to midnight. But I promise you if we do, it'll be God. Amen. Amen. It'll be God. But I do believe the word of the Lord can change us. It can empower us. It can transform us. And I just want to put something into your spirit tonight that you can chew on throughout this week. Just chew on it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Let it get in you. Right? Let it get inside of you. And let the anointing of the Lord touch your life tonight. Praise God.
Amy, come with me and please just play a little something. You don't maybe, if I'm going to see tonight, is there anybody need special prayer, need a touch of God? I know doing more teaching than preaching tonight, but maybe you just need something special tonight or you want special prayer for a thing. Amen. We're going to just come into agreement with you on tonight. Praise God. Sister Mary, can I pray with you tonight? I understand that you've had some death in your family and going to be going, your sister-in-law. And we just want to pray God's grace and minister to you tonight. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand together.